Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hankelly. Today, we are talking all about March Madness and brackets. To give us a better look at the potential NCAA tournament field, we have brought in Washington, D.C. Bracketology blogger, Graham Duran. Graham, Sam and I appreciate the time this evening. Oh, thank you, Steve and Sam. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So considering you are a bracketology blogger, I think the first thing I definitely have to ask you is, you know, there are several ways that bracketologists like yourself evaluate teams this time of year. What are your main factors when it comes to correctly seeding teams or projecting teams in and outside the tournament field? I think there's two things that stand out more above any others, but but there are a, a kind of list of things that I, I really look for. But I think I really seek balance more than a lot of bracketologists would. So what I mean by that is you might have a team who has some really great wins, but think of a team like Missouri. Great wins, but they they just don't really look the part a lot of the time. They've gotten blown out in a lot of games. They don't have great predictive metrics. You know, Ken Pomeroy or Sagarin doesn't really like Missouri very much. I take a team like that and I really try to balance it out and say, okay, great wins has to be worth something. But those predictive metrics have to be worth something on the negative side. So I try to balance it and come to a consensus on what I think is a fair seed for a team. So balance is really important. I have Missouri 28th overall right now, so my final seven seed. Uh, I think you have some bracketologists who would look at Missouri and say, this team deserves like a five seed because of the wins. And I, I don't disagree with them deserving that, uh, but I really try to seek balance. Uh, the other thing that I, I really seek more than probably most bracketologists is I look for elite wins. Those wins that aren't good. I'm not talking about beating Maryland at home or West Virginia at home. I'm talking about, did you go on the road and beat Kansas? like TCU did? Did you go on the road and, if you're Gonzaga, beat Alabama and Birmingham? Those sorts of wins that really jump off the page, I give a ton of credit to because I think the committee does too. Uh, Somebody that I've uh, gotten to know a little bit through the bracketology community, uh, we worked together on this year's 2023 uh, mock selection committee, Uh, Rocco Miller, he put it really well this past weekend. He said, I look for the names on the front of the jersey. And I think that's just a very good way of putting it. If you won at Kansas, it doesn't matter whether Kansas is seven net, four net, 12 net, doesn't matter. If you're a committee member, you know they won at Kansas. That means something. Uh, So I really put a lot of stock on, did you pick up elite wins? Those wins that really stand out. Absolutely. Now, speaking of teams that, not necessarily have picked up late wins, but have been trending in in really good directions. Their stocks have risen to end the regular season. Uh, that's Kentucky and Duke. You know, Kentucky especially. If I had told you maybe a month ago, if Kentucky is a lock to make the NCAA tournament, I think you would have said probably not. But they look to be a team that's definitely going to be easily in the field. And then as well as Duke, with their recent rise, you know how far up uh, the seed line can both those teams go? 
I feel pretty confident that Kentucky is going to be a six seed. Uh, you know, I can't say they're a lock to be there or anything like that, but I do think the selection committee is going to notice that Kentucky's played so well down the stretch that some of their earlier uh, troubles, like a home loss to South Carolina, maybe aren't going to be critical in their evaluation of Kentucky. Uh, so I do think Kentucky is is pretty well set at a six seed. I'm looking at Duke and Creighton as two teams that are very, very close for me. Uh, Creighton hasn't done a great job of picking up quality wins despite having a lot of opportunities, but their predictive metrics are really, really good, and they've had injuries. So I think Creighton gets uh, a bit of a reprieve from the committee for that. On the other hand, you get a team like Duke. Duke has good metrics all the way around. Uh, and they've really kind of earned their spot a little bit more than a team like Creighton has. So uh, I have Duke 24th and Creighton 25th, and that's the difference between a six and a seven seed. So uh, for me as a bracketologist, those are those positions that I pay very close attention to uh, because you don't want to have a seed wrong. That's the top difference between being in the top half of the bracket and the bottom half of the bracket. So for me, I think Duke is in good position to get either a six or a seven seed. I think Kentucky's very well positioned to get a six. Um, but yeah, it just comes down to when you have two teams very close to each other, you've got to make sure you get it right uh, because it does affect the way the entire bracket flows. Right. Now, speaking of another blue blood, North Carolina, you know, let's talk about them. They're 19 and 12. So record wise, it looks to be a team that, oh, maybe could be a team that makes the field. But the ACC hasn't been that strong of a conference this year. They're one and nine against quad one opponents. Is there a path for them to make the NSA tournament that doesn't involve them winning the ACC tournament? Or do they do they really have to win the ACC tournament to to make the big dance? I can't say never say never. But realistically, they have to win the ACC tournament. I would be absolutely shocked if they make the field in any other way. There just aren't enough quality wins to be had in the ACC tournament. And the committee's probably already going to make their decision before they get to Saturday night on whether North Carolina is worthy of being in the field or not. Uh, so I look at North Carolina as a team that has had many opportunities to impress against the top teams on their schedule, and they just haven't done it. Uh, it's amazing. Preseason number one, a team that was three points away from going to overtime for the national championship. And despite returning pretty much everybody but Brady Manick, uh, I think the Tar Heels are far out of the field and they will not work their way back into it. Well, they had that opportunity to end the regular season when they played Duke. Um, and then they also had their matchup with Duke in camera and they lost that as well. Um, Virginia could be like their best chance to get a win if they, uh, you know, make a deeper in the ACC tournament. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the bracket and uh, North Carolina really doesn't have opportunities to add to that resume. So, uh, you know, from my perspective uh, as a bracketologist, I do not think North Carolina has a realistic path to an NCAA tournament bid unless they do the same thing they did last March, which is go on a heck of a tournament run. Um, it will it will take a heck of a tournament run for them to go dancing this year. Let's say they do make it and they win the ACC tournament, get in automatically. What seed do you think they will earn? Uh, at that point, I think you're looking at either an 11 or a 12 seed. 
And there's a similar comparison last year with Virginia Tech, a team that people thought was pretty good, but just didn't do enough during the regular season to earn a tournament bid. And then they went on a tear in the ACC tournament. They beat Clemson. They beat Notre Dame. They beat that same North Carolina team in the semis before beating Duke in the championship game. And despite all those great wins, the committee gave them an 11 seed. So I think North Carolina would be in the same position. No matter how many good wins they pick up, they're looking at an 11 or a 12 seed in the tournament. So speaking of another bubble team, um, this one's in the Big Ten. Wisconsin Badgers, they're 17 and 13. They finished 11th in the Big Ten standings. In your opinion, are they right now in or are they out? I think Wisconsin's in right now. I think they have a, a fair chance at staying in the bracket. They're going to have to beat Ohio State likely in their first Big Ten tournament game. Uh, but I think it's probably going to take one game, one win over Ohio State to keep them on the right side of the bubble. But if they do that, they are still flirting with disaster. At 18 and 14, it would be very close especially with their efficiency metrics and their net ranking being very poor compared to the rest of the uh, at-large consideration teams. Um, that said, I think the, the Badgers have the opportunity to cement their place in the bracket with just two wins. Would they be in a similar boat of North Carolina, I guess, if they were to make it, or if they were to make the tournament, they'd be an 11 seed, 12 seed? I think if Wisconsin makes it, they're likely looking at an 11 seed. I think if they have a tournament, they could potentially be a 10 seed, but I don't think they could be anywhere higher than a 10. Now, what's a team in the field that they're, they're in? They're going to make the tournament come Selection Sunday, but from a seed perspective, it's been very difficult to gauge, and it could create some discussion whether they were – you know, underseeded or overseeded come uh, Selection Sunday? I think Creighton, I mentioned earlier, is a good example of that because of the injuries. I think TCU, for the same reason, they've only lost five games with Mike Miles when playing in the lineup. So I think they're another team that could be uh, a part of a big seeding discussion. But the answer for me is really Florida Atlantic, FAU. Uh, the Owls have a good record against the top part of their schedule against Quadrant One. Same thing with their... Uh, second part of their schedule, Quadrant 2, the, the tougher games that they played. They did a good job against those teams, but you're talking about games against North Texas, Florida. Those aren't going to impress too many people. Nice wins, yes, but again, I talked about elite wins. They don't have anything even remotely resembling an elite win. Uh, as of now, they have zero wins against teams in the NCAA tournament field. So I think Florida Atlantic is a team that I'm really watching as uh, they could be as high as a seven. They could be as low as an 11, and I wouldn't be shocked uh, with any of that. But currently for me, they're my 33rd overall team, which makes them the best number nine seed. So I think it's likely that FAU is headed to that 8-9 game. So Florida Atlantic, do you have a comparison of a team that they remind you of in past years? Yeah, they remind me a lot of Wofford. But Wofford ended up getting a seven seed. And to me, I think the big difference is Wofford played a ton of really good teams in the non-conference schedule. You might remember Kansas actually battled that Wofford team, and Yudoka Azabuke had about a million dunks in that game. Uh, but other than that, Wofford hung tough with all of the really strong teams they played, and it was actually a terrific year 
for the SOCON that year, where you had a really good UNC Greensboro team was uh, nearly in the field. They were the first team out of the field that year. Uh, so I think Wofford's a good comparison. I think the difference is uh, Wofford just had better wins than Florida Atlantic had. They were more tested out of conference. And I think that's why it's a, a good comparison. But to me, that Wofford resume was clearly stronger than this one. So I think it's it's decent to to evaluate Florida Atlantic as being close, but not quite there. So whereas Wofford got a seven, Florida Atlantic as a nine or an eight makes sense to me. Yo, there are many events coming up in the world of sports. It'd be great to be in attendance for such. Where can we get tickets? SeatGeek. You see, SeatGeek is an app that can help you find the best seats with the best deals. SeatGeek shows you different tickets available with green being the best deals and red not being the hot deals. The best part is it shows you where you'll be sitting at the event. If you use the code SPORTSMECCA, you could get $20 off your first purchase. Get your seat at SeatGeek today. So the Big 12 is currently bound to have seven teams in the field. Oklahoma State is still on the bubble, however. How does last Saturday's win in Lubbock boost their chances, and how far would they need to go in the Big 12 tournament to secure a spot in the big dance? Uh, I think that win in Lubbock was absolutely huge for Oklahoma State. I have them currently just out of the field uh, as my third team out of the field, which means they're they're right in striking range. Uh, And for me, I think they must beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 tournament. If they don't do that, I just don't think there's quite enough on the resume to put them into the dance. Uh, But if they do beat Oklahoma, that's where I think you're looking at a, it could be a coin flip, 50-50. Does the committee put them in? If they win a second game in the Big 12 tournament, uh, which would involve them going down and beating Kansas State, or excuse me, not Kansas State, uh, beating Texas. If they were to beat Texas, I think the, the Cowboys then would be locked into the field as an NCAA tournament team. Uh, But I think Oklahoma State's biggest problem is, yeah, they finished a game above West Virginia in the Big 12 standings, and they were within one game of Iowa State and TCU. But what they didn't do is beat the top Big 12 teams. They got a nice sweep of Iowa State. That's really important. And that's what keeps them in the discussion. They didn't beat Kansas once. They didn't beat Baylor once. They didn't beat Texas once. They didn't beat Kansas State once. And earlier in this uh, podcast, we were talking about what I'm really looking for. I'm looking for elite wins. It's the names on the front of the jersey. They didn't get that. They didn't beat those teams that really stand out and say, okay, if they can beat that team, they deserve a bid. And where it really comes to hurt Oklahoma State is they had the chances. They had eight games against those teams, four of which were at home. They couldn't get a single win against that competition. Nobody's expecting them to go to four and four, but if you want to be in the NCAA tournament, you need to win one of those games. So uh, that's why I think even if Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, picks up a ninth win against Big 12 teams, I still think it's 50-50 for Oklahoma State whether they make the field. Oh, we'll stay in the Big 12. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, possible overall number one seed, the uh, Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, right now, a lot of bracketologists have them as a one seed in the Midwest. Houston is right there. For it as well. Does KU need to win the Big 12 tournament to secure that Midwest regional and the number one overall seed? And what would happen if somehow KU and, and Houston were both to lose their conference tournaments? 
It's a tough question. And the answer is, I don't know. I'm making my best guess at it because this is close. Uh, at our 2023 mock selection committee that I did this past weekend uh, with other bracketologists from around the country, I made the point that I don't remember there ever being three teams so closely bunched up at the top of the bracket. If you wanted to say Alabama's number one and Kansas number two and Houston's number three or Houston's number one, Kansas number two, Alabama's number three, I think you could go any order with these teams and it would make sense. I personally believe Kansas deserves the overall number one seed regardless of what happens in Kansas City because they've done so much against a really, really tough schedule. Over two thirds of the games that Kansas has played have been against teams in quadrant one. They are 15 and six against teams in quadrant one. And it's not just home wins over teams like Texas and Baylor and Kansas State that we know are really good. They beat Duke on a neutral court. They went to TCU and beat TCU when they had miles. Uh, so it, I think they're, you're looking at a team that has taken the show on the road as well and proved that they're a really good basketball team. Uh, and they've just earned it from that standpoint. But uh, I think entering the Big 12 tournament and the AAC tournament for Houston, if Kansas wins the Big 12 tournament, I think they will get that overall number one seed in the path to Kansas City. I think at that point, the resume is just too overwhelming. You're likely looking at 18 and six against quadrant one. No team has ever had as many quadrant one wins as Kansas has right now. Can you imagine if they added three more and they're looking at 18 quadrant one wins? I mean, I, I, I legitimately don't know how you can say results matter if a team with that record isn't the overall number one seed. But to flip it on its head, if the Jayhawks fall in Kansas City and Houston wins the AAC tournament, I think it's probably likely at that point you're talking about Houston, the number one ranked team in the country, a team who is number one in every predictive metric. And the selection committee had them number two overall at their bracket reveal a few weeks ago, letting us know they thought Houston was number two and Kansas was number four. If they thought Houston was better then, has anything really changed if Houston has won the rest of their schedule? So for me, I think the Jayhawks may need to win the tournament in Kansas City in order to get that number one overall seed. If they were to win the, the Big 12 tournament, they had 18 quadrant wins. That'd be uh, more wins than a lot of college basketball teams. Currently, and that's just just overall, KU would have won more than some of those programs just in the quad one, which is absurd. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Sam. If we're talking about Wisconsin being in the NCAA tournament and Oklahoma State being in the NCAA tournament, if they were to pick up their 18th wins in the Big Ten and the Big 12 tournament, again, we're talking about teams making the NCAA tournament as at-large selections with as many wins against everybody as Kansas has against the top of the field. You're talking about teams like Duke, who I mentioned earlier, I think is on the verge of a six seed. They have three wins against quadrant one. Kansas has five times that. So we're talking about not just a little bit more. We're talking about the most voluminous victories in quadrant one history. I want to talk about a, a team out east from Kansas, and that's our their arch rival, of course, the Missouri Tigers, which is they have had a terrific season under uh, Dennis Gates. Uh, you have them currently as like the final seven seed. Uh, Lenardi had them as an eight seed, I think, a couple days ago. 
what do they need to do today to uh, stay on the seventh line? And um, if they were to lose to Tennessee on Friday, does that drop into the eight or they can they safely be in the seven line? I think there's no safe about it either way, right? I, as you mentioned, I have Missouri as my last number seven seed. So that means I can be one spot off in my overall rankings and all of a sudden they're on a different seed line because that's the, the little thin margins at, at the edge of seed lines that really matter. So Missouri could absolutely be put into the dreaded 8-9 game, even if they win their first SEC tournament game, just because the, the committee thinks they're slightly different than I thought they were. Um, so I think that's a big point to understand about bracketologists. Sometimes you could be like, well, you thought they were a 7 and they were an 8. I can be really really close to being right and still be wrong. So um, that, that's kind of my first point there. But as far as Missouri and possibly beating Tennessee, they run into a problem that happens every year. And that's the selection committee process starts on Wednesday. We are two days away as of the time we're speaking right now from the selection committee convening to vote on who are the number one seeds. And so on Wednesday, you usually have the one seed line set by Thursday morning, you're usually looking at seeds two, three, and four are already set. And by Thursday night, they're typically through the first seven seed lines or so. This is all give or take. Depends on the year and how far the committee is advancing and that sort of stuff. But my point is, Missouri very well could be seeded before they even step onto the court in the SEC tournament. And if that's the case, the committee might not want to move them based on where they end up. So. Uh, it's a very decent chance the committee won't evaluate what Missouri does in the SEC tournament at all. And if they do evaluate it, it's probably not going to have much of an effect uh, on their seed. So I think Missouri, for me, is very likely headed to either a seven seed or an eight seed. Very good. Uh, I want to talk about a team that is, that's uh, moving themselves in position to get a one seed, and that's the uh, UCLA Bruins. Uh, currently on a some bracketology sites, uh, UCLA is the one seed in the West region. Do they need to, to win their conference tournament to uh, keep it? And and is it most likely that they'll end up getting that West region, which would be beneficial with having Vegas being the host? It's a tough call, uh, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, I have Purdue as fourth overall above UCLA at fifth overall right now. Uh, and the reason for that is Purdue just has better wins. Uh, UCLA has uh, a good record against quadrant one. They have great predictive metrics. Uh, they also have a Jalen Clark injury that we don't know how the committee is going to evaluate that. Um, but in addition, UCLA's wins, if you look at them, are against teams that aren't making the NCAA tournament. So it's not to say UCLA has a bad resume. I have them fifth overall. That's a very good resume. They're 27 and four, very worthy of consideration for a number one seed. But they beat Arizona at home, Kentucky neutral, and at Maryland. And then once you get past those three wins, they've got at Oregon, at Washington State, at Arizona State, at Colorado they don't have another quadrant one victory over a team I currently have in the bracket. I mean, think of that. They have three quadrant one wins over teams in the bracket, and we're supposed to give them a number one seed. Meanwhile, Kansas is over there just racking up quality win after quality win. So I think when you look at UCLA, you really do have to consider the lack of elite wins 
Look at the names on the front of the jersey. They didn't put together a ton of those. They're a team with four losses and four wins against the field. So you're telling me that a team that is 50-50 on whether they're beating an NCAA tournament team during the regular season should get a number one seed? I'm not convinced. I get why the other bracketologists have them there. I'm not convinced. I think Purdue is more worthy of that number one seed, even if UCLA has come on strong at the end of the year and Purdue is faded. Uh, but I do think the Big Ten tournament and the uh, Pac-12 tournament will be relevant to who ends up as that final number one seed. And as for whether UCLA is headed out west, I think they have a better chance of it if they end up fifth overall. It's actually in some ways maybe beneficial for UCLA not to get a one seed uh, because then I think they would be headed to the West region. Uh, whereas if they end up as the final number one seed, what if Houston potentially were to go to Las Vegas, right? If you have Kansas in the Midwest and Alabama and Louisville, maybe Houston takes that spot out West and then UCLA couldn't go there. If they were fourth overall, maybe they have to go to the East region, New York City. I'm not sure they'd like that. So uh, kind of a lot up in the air for UCLA, and I think the Pac-12 tournament will be very relevant to them. Speaking of the East uh, region, I think a lot of one seeds wouldn't want the East region because of this possible matchup draw. The UConn Huskies, who started out as a uh, national championship contender at the start of the year, but then slipped a little bit. They are projected to be on the four line. Uh, would, will they get the East, do you believe? And uh, as a one seed, you wouldn't want to uh, draw UConn at Madison Square Garden. Am I right about that? I wouldn't want to draw them in Madison Square Garden, but uh, you're right about the process, the process being so important for where UConn could get placed. And I do believe there is a very strong chance Connecticut could be placed playing their first two rounds in Albany. and then. If they make the regional finals and the Sweet 16 playing in New York City. So, yeah, I think you make a great point there. I have Connecticut as my 13th overall team, despite having a Ken Palm rating of fourth. Uh, and that's just because they haven't done well in Big East play. They finished four games behind Marquette in the Big East standings. I mean, you just can't look at that and say, oh, they deserve a two seed. No matter how good you think they are or how great their out of conference was, you can't finish four games behind Marquette and argue you deserve a very high seed. Uh, but I do have Connecticut 13th overall right now. Uh, and I frankly am questioning that because of how far behind they were uh, against Marquette. Maybe they shouldn't even be remotely close to Marquette in the overall seed list. But if they are 13th overall, that means that they get the first placement on the four line for regions and the committee would try to place them in the East region in New York City if possible. So uh, my final question to you is, without the bracket reveal, if you had to choose a, a bet to, to win it all without knowing who, who's going where, uh, who would you choose? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, and the reason why I think it's so tough is because I don't see a team up towards the top of the bracket that I think is dominant, and that includes Houston. I think Houston has struggled way too often with AAC teams for me to have a lot of confidence in them. Uh, and then I look at Alabama, and they've faded down the stretch. Uh, ever since they started to have some concerns about their roster, uh, they've faded. And I, I don't know that I, I really trust Alabama to consistently perform uh, the way that they'll need to in the NCAA tournament. 
And then I think you look at Kansas, and I think they're they're a really tough team, but there's too often where the Jayhawks are looking for scoring and they just can't find it. If Jalen Wilson isn't doing it or Grady Dick's off, where do they turn for that scoring? You you really need a guy like Dewan Harris to consistently step up. Uh, and they don't have that low post scoring in the same way as far as uh, back to the basket scoring that you would expect. KJ Adams has absolutely defied expectations, but he's not the big man that even a guy like David McCormick is. So uh, I really look at the top teams in the country, and I'm not really convinced <laughs> with any of them, to be frank. So uh, I kind of think this is a year where it will come down uh, to toughness in somebody that is just more consistently uh, going to play tough. So not being convinced with any of those teams, I'm still going to go with Kansas. If it comes down to it, you go with coaching, you go with toughness, and I just don't believe in Houston's offense enough to choose them. For sure. For sure. I mean, I think Houston, I think it may have been ESPN or CBS. They had him as the odds, like what their odds were to, uh, to win the national championship. And I think what their odds would, what their odds are now, it would be the lowest odds for any uh, top overall seed, like in recent memory. That is if they get the number one overall seed. Um, so that's something to to play a factor. And I think people will I think people will question about Houston, like you mentioned, Graham, just who they played in the conference. Like they have some similarity to a couple of recent Gonzaga teams, like you know, the 2021 Gonzaga team, 2022 Gonzaga, very, very good teams, but they didn't have a lot of tests in their conference. So how often are is you know Wichita State or Temple hanging with Houston? If you're having trouble putting those teams away, I don't know that you're going to win six straight playing the best teams in the country. So uh, for me, I just think they they struggle too much on offense too consistently. When they're good, they're good. But there's something to be said for a team that you know is most likely going to bring that offensive performance. Uh, and if they're not going to bring it, do they have that toughness on defense? I think Houston absolutely has that on defense, but they've got to play six games of good offense or at least just get by in one or two. Um, I think Kansas more consistently will bring a good offensive performance than Houston. Before we wrap it up, the one one potential one seed that you you didn't mention about if they could win a national championship is Purdue, their chances of winning it. Because we know Zach Eady could be the odds on favor to win player of the year, but they have had some some slip-ups to end the regular season. Yeah, I think you you ask a good question about Purdue, and I was actually curious if you are going to follow up on that because it was intentional uh, to not mention the Boilermakers. Uh, they have faded down the stretch, as we, we talked about, but I'm also just not sold on the Big Ten in general. I think the Big Ten is going to get a lot of NCAA tournament bids. I think you're looking at potentially maybe nine or eight teams uh, from the Big Ten uh, making the field. I mean, even up to possibly 10. I think you're, you're looking at a, uh, a plethora of Big Ten teams in the tournament. But are you sold on literally any of those teams? I don't think a single Big Ten team is going to make the Elite Eight. I'll go out and say that. I mean, even with upsets and that many teams, you'd think somebody will probably get there. 
but I just don't think so. I don't think Indiana's going to do it. I don't think Purdue's going to do it. And I don't think it's going to be a team like Maryland or Michigan State surprising. So uh, long story short, I think the Big Ten, ha- Big Ten has a lot of good teams. I don't think they have any teams that scare me at this point in the season. Yeah, that's a good that's a good synopsis of it. Um, but hey, look at Purdue last year. They lost to 15 seed St. Peter's. They had a gift, and they lost. So mm-hmm. um, maybe they draw. Maybe they have that draw again this year. But Graham, for for those that will listen to this th- this episode on all of our platforms, what's the best way for them to check up on your work and reach reach out to? Uh, the thing that I'm most likely to be updating is just my Twitter account. So at Graham Doran, that's G-R-A-H-A-M-D-O-E-R-E-N on Twitter. I think that's how you'll get the most recent thoughts and analysis. Uh, but also I do have a website, uh, GrahamDoranBracketology.wordpress.com. Uh, but I'm less likely to be interacting with fans on there. So I, I really do recommend reach out to me on Twitter. Ask me any questions you want to know about bracketology, about teams you're interested in, all of that sort of stuff. And I really do try to do my best to answer every question. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I follow you on Twitter and you're a very good, very good Twitter account. A lot of I, I know a lot of people have, have reached out to you and you've been very good uh, to respond. So Sam and I appreciate you coming on and once again talking about bracketology as the NCAA tournament comes closer. Thank you, guys. Really do appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you, Graham. Take care. You too. For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Sports Mecca.